Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Avis Chomjisha. Avis is the founder and owner of Silver Bells, an autism center in Kigali, Rwanda. Silver Bells offers comprehensive services for families, including applied behavior analysis, speech therapy, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, and music therapy. The Global Autism Project partnered with Silver Bells in April 2019. We have since sent two Skill Corps volunteer teams to provide hands-on training to their staff. In today's conversation, Avis and I discuss the stigma around autism in Rwanda, the lack of services in her community, and the pain she feels from having to turn away families who cannot afford to pay for them. She also highlights the country's progress in social reform since the genocide in 1994. Avis talks about what she's learned from working with autistic children, how she leads her multidisciplinary team, and how the COVID-19 crisis has affected services at her center. In this episode, discover what's possible when stigma is shattered by courage. For more information about Avis and her work, please visit our website, autismknowsnoborders.com. And now I present you, Avis Chomjisha. Hi, Avis. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thank you for being here today. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for inviting me. Could you please introduce yourself? My name is Eva Shomcha. I'm the founder and managing director of Silver Bells. It's located in Rwanda, in the capital city of Chigali. Okay, great. Let's start with how autism is understood and viewed in Rwanda. There's still low awareness. People don't understand what it is. Even there's a lot of stigma where you find that parents hide their children inside the houses. They don't want them to get out. They don't know what to do. So it's still raw. And you find now, like in the center, you find we're receiving more of children who are below three years, but parents don't understand. Like they feel our children, uh, because we work all the time, we leave our children with our maids. So they're addicted to movies. That is that is a problem, but they're not autistic. So most of the parents are in denial and there's a lot of stigma. Mm. So what is the stigma around disabilities in general? They don't understand what it is. So they feel bad to have a child who has disability, yet they don't know what to do. If there was a lot of awareness, then they would understand they can live a normal life if they go through therapy and go to special education. But because they don't understand what it is, that's why they decide to hide. And you find even the public, they feel it's a curse. Like they call these children that are, they're cursed. When, when they see an autistic child, they don't understand what it is. They think it's a curse. And that's why even parents decide to hide them in houses. The time we opened up the center, most of the children that we got were from uh, home, like they were closing homes. They wouldn't go to school. They wouldn't get out 
you'd find parents maybe are taking their siblings out in game centers, but these children or autistic are kept at home because they feel when they take them outside, they will embarrass them in public. So they would prefer keeping them home. Mm -hmm. So when they take them out in public, other people will judge them for bringing the kids outside? Yes, because they do not understand who they are. Mm -hmm. And of course, because of their behaviors. So they feel embarrassed sometimes, like if one goes and runs around screaming, so others are all st- uh, uh, staring at the children. In our center, we have um, days when we take our children for a walk outside. Whenever we take them for a walk, you find everyone like is looking at them as if they have never seen them. You know, mm-hmm. like where we pass, you find every, like people on the street are just staring at them mm-hmm. as if they're not human beings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you said that some parents think that it's a curse, like a curse from evil spirits? Yeah, some think it's a curse from evil spirits. Some think that they are maybe witchcraft. There are very few people who understand what it is. And that's why the stigma, that's why I remember the time I started the center, my friend told me, why would you go for that? Those kids are cursed. You know, whenever you leave the, the center, you need to fast pray. Don't take the curses to your house. Oh, really? Imagine someone take, yeah. So it's a big challenge. Mm. So what kinds of services are available for families? When we talk about the services available, then I'll talk about my center. Okay. <laughs> for the moment, we are the only ones that have a compressive kind of setup with different services. We have occupational uh, therapy, we have speech therapy, we have special needs education, physiotherapy, and in all, we use ABA in all the departments. Mm -hmm. So would you say that your center, Silver Bells, is the only place to receive services for autism in your area? In Kigali, there are other centers but we are the only ones that have all that package. I see. Yeah. Yes. Are doctors diagnosing autism? Now they're trying to understand what it is because now I'm getting uh, some hospitals are referring children to the center. Parents will call me and they'll say, we have been referred by this doctor to your center. They told us you can support us. But these are big hospitals. So small hospitals do not understand. Clinics do not understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Normally, like when they see an autistic child, they think these children are mentally disturbed. They think of taking them to a mental hospital. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So parents are left feeling kind of hopeless and helpless. Uh, yes. L- yeah. Like the parents we meet, most of them are hopeless. They don't have hope. They don't know what to do. It's hard for them. They're working. They have these children. It's hard to have a maid home who understand these children, even taking them to schools. Most schools do not tolerate them because it's hard to handle them. So it's fine. It, you find it's hard for parents. Mm-hmm. Is there any government support? Like, How are parents paying for services at your center? The government is now supporting us during the lockdown because now at the moment, all schools in Rwanda are still closed. 
but we are happy that in June they allowed the centers to work because now they can recognize children with autism. That was a big step on on the side of the government mm-hmm. because at least they recognized that these children exist and they needed help. Yeah, that's a huge step. Yeah. So, Avis, actually, we have a few listener questions. And the first question is from Andrew Bennett. It's actually a two-part question. So first he's asking, is it correct that African cultures are, for the most part, very collectivist? The second part of his question is, how has community action impacted the general perception of autism and its research? It depends on the area. Like now, uh, if we look at Kigali, People are getting to understand the situation. But if you look at people who are outside Kigali, and this is the majority population, you find they do not understand what's happening. It's still low here. It's still low in Rwanda. Okay. If you find, like, you find people understand autism, there are these parents who have children with autism, and these are, are parents that have gone to school. These are parents who have decided to, to make research on what is happening to their children. Mm-hmm. But any other person who has not dealt with their children, they do not understand what it is. Right. Even now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there is a big parent group in your area, right? Yes. There is an association of parents with children with autism and also well-wishers. There are over 100 parents. They gather together. They share information. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine that with more and more parents speaking up and banding together to form a movement, to grow awareness, to bring more attention to the government, you know, that's kind of where it starts. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Because even them to understand our center, most of them had the center from from the parents uh, association. Okay. Got it. So our other listener question is from Chang Tran. She's asking, how do teachers in general and in specialized schools teach autistic children about Rwandan history, especially events like the genocide? That's a hard question. It's hard. Even even in our center, we haven't tried that because most of the children that we have are nonverbal. And we are trying to begin with the basic skills. So we haven't like we haven't reached to that level where we can teach them about the history of Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So in general, how would you say the country has healed from those events? You know, the genocide happened between 1994 April to July 1994, and over 800,000 Tutsis were killed during the genocide. But after the genocide, a lot has happened. There has been improvement in infrastructure. There has been improvement in the health sector, in the education sector. Also, there has been a lot of empowerment in gender. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when I was there in Rwanda, I visited you guys last July during our discovery trip with Skill Corps. Mm. And I was with Jacob and Cindy, and we went to the Memorial Center in Kigali, and it was very moving to 
first to read about all of the history, but also to understand how the country has tried to reconcile from those events. And it was actually really inspiring in a way to think that humans can move forward from something that is so tragic. Yeah. Our government has done a lot. It has done a lot of reconciliation. And uh, every April, there's a memorial period. But this has also given an opportunity where the government has put a lot of emphasis in rebuilding infrastructure, in the social economy development, gender equality, and also there's been accountability to genocide perpetrators. So that's also heals mm-hmm. the survivors. And also there has been also integration of the former combats, which is also good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember we had a call last April during that Remembrance Week. And I remember that you were reflecting on a lot that was going on then. So I understand it's a very sensitive topic and I really appreciate you sharing with us because I think it's important for people to hear these stories so that history doesn't repeat itself. Thank you. Yeah. So Avis, let's go back to your journey with Silver Bells. How did you begin working with the autistic population? Like, when did you first start hearing about autism? (laughs) Yeah, I'd never heard about autism. I'm a mother. So whenever I, would, uh, whenever I would give birth, like when my child would delay in some milestone, I'd always Google and see, you know, that's when I started like realizing about autism. But ne- I'd never like seen any child who was autistic or had anything about it until in 2018, I started up a school. Then, you know, a school when it's new, you enroll each and every child. So there's a child that we enrolled. The parent came, asked for a place. We enrolled the child, but we did not know he was autistic. Mm. So after he joined school, that's when we started realizing some behaviors that would not understand. He was nonverbal. He was very aggressive. He would bite teachers. He would fight. He would beat all the children. So it was really hard. And the parents were in denial, and they did not what to do because he was their firstborn mm. and we didn't know what to do so I tried to approach the parents but they thought I was going to chase him away because he had been chased from other schools then I had one teacher who had over 30 years of experience she told me I know this kind of children the only thing we can do is to give him love let's show him love it seems he has been denied love then I think it will work But in that situation, I was having uh, complaints from other parents because the children would would go back home and imitate what he was doing. He would be climbing the windows. He would be fighting them. He would be beating them. And I started having issues with parents. But my heart told, I kept on thinking I don't need to to chase him away because I realized he he would be the first to to come in. He would come in at six in the morning. And would be the last to be picked up at eight evening. So I realized I need to help this boy. As we kept on supporting him emotionally, other parents started telling their friends that that school tolerates autistic children. In just like three months, we had 10 autistic children. And it was really hard for us. Mm. It was really hard for us. And we didn't know what to do. 
but I tried to inquire, make research. I realized there was a lady in Uganda who had a center. So I, I, I went there to see how I would help these children because they weren't studying. They would spend the whole day running around the class, even the children that were in the mainstream weren't concentrating. So it was terrible for the school. And my heart kept on telling me, you don't need to chase away these children because they need support. That's when I traveled to, to Uganda, saw how centers worked, looked at the children. I moved to different centers there and I made up my mind to support this. That's when I came up with the center. And of course, in Rwanda, we, we don't have skilled personnel. So I had, those, I had also to hire a therapist from Uganda. It was hard. I didn't even have the budget, but I was, I was determined to support the children. And when I told some of my friends who are in the association that I was going to, to start up the center, I knew I was going to start with these 10 that were in my school. When we opened the center and we had to first do assessment, over 200 children turned up for assessment. Wow. And we did not do any marketing. We did not do any announcement. It was just word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So we got over 200 children who came up from the, and for, for the assessment. And in this, in these 200 children that came, most of them were from, like I can call them home prisons. They had been locked in the houses. Mm-hmm. Some didn't even know how to, to, to sit with people. Some had never seen people, like they knew just their parents. Wow. So it was, it was hard. I, I didn't know what to do. I started thinking that, did I do the right thing to start this? I thought I had this thing, but now I'm seeing others that are extreme. Are we going to handle? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. But in those that are, we assessed at the beginning, 13 were able to enroll. Others would not afford. They kept on telling me, please. And I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to compromise the service. Yes. But from then now, the center has 35 children at the moment mm-hmm. who are fully enrolled, but we still enroll, but most children cannot afford the center. Mm, I see. Mm. Yeah. How is that for you when you have to turn families away? It's hard. Some will come and read and they'll share, they'll like, they'll tell you, see me, I work as a guard. I cannot afford this. Even the money you charge, it's, cannot even pay my salary. My wife cannot work because of the child. We cannot have someone else to help. It's really hard, but I always like say, I I don't know. It's really hard to, to, to deal with these parents and children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, some enroll and within some months they cannot afford and they drop out. It's really a big challenge. Yeah. So what have you learned from working with children with autism? It's amazing. Like I always tell people, uh, whenever we have um, a 15 years old who started speaking from the center last year. So I always tell people like when I see an improvement in someone's life, that is my satisfaction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Last night, I, I remember, you know, Leah, Remember Leo? Yes, I remember him. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yesterday they showed me his video when he was writing his name. You know, I, that made my day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I really love what I'm doing because I know I'm bringing hope to the parents. I shared the video with the mom and the mom said, no, this has touched my heart. You bring back to me. I didn't know he can write his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's important to celebrate all of the, the steps, even the little steps. Yeah. For us, just a little step makes a difference for us. We, we, with the entire team. Yeah. Yeah. So Avis, what have you learned about leadership? Because you are running basically two schools. You have Silver Bells, the general education school, and you also have the Autism Center. Yes. Yeah, and I've learned a lot. You need to have a lot of patience. You need to have the passion to be able to work with people. And you need to be determined in what you're doing. Otherwise, you can be discouraged especially dealing in this kind of service of education. Yeah, you need to to be having a lot of passion of what you're doing. As you said, I'm running both the center and the school. The time you visited us, we're in different places. It was really hard. I was very stressed because when you want things to be done and you find people don't understand what you want, it's hard. And they're in different places. You're from one place, they will tell the other place she's coming but I'm happy that we are now in one place. So it's easy. It's easy for me. And I think all is well because like the staff we have, we've been together for long and they really understand what I want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's important that everyone can see clearly what the mission is. And I think, you know, we always talk about how incredible our partners are Because it's one thing to start a center and be a business owner, of course, managing people and making sure the students are reaching their goals. But in many of our partners' situations, the background of how autism is viewed is a challenge in itself. And, you know, you're working against these stigmas and trying to help the community understand really what autism is at the same time running a business. (laughs) So I think it just shows so much courage and resilience and, you know, determination, like you're saying. Yeah. And, and when running a center, I don't think there's business in running a center <laughs> because I have the school and I have the center. So you find the school is supporting the center. So you find it's more of charity in the center, though they are paying, but the tuition cannot sustain the program. So you find that the school is supporting the center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected your center? You did have to shut down at some point. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. For me, like in Silverbells, it was hard because uh, last year we were in different places. It was hard for me to manage. It was really expensive renting places, houses, and yet they know you're putting in a school or your, yeah, so you find the rent is really high, it's very expensive. So I opted to have one facility. I went to the bank, they looked at the rent that I was paying for the houses, and they realized they would give me a mortgage to, instead of paying rent so that I can pay the bank. So in 2019, November, that's when I got the loan and bought a bigger facility that can accommodate the school and the center. And since even uh, even parents believe in inclusive education, 
they prefer their children to be in an inclusive setup than a center. So um, Jan, we had to move into the facility. Then in March, that's when we were hit with, with the COVID crisis. We closed. It was hard. All the money that the school had had been used in renovating the facility. And I had 58 staff that wouldn't pay. We paid them May and April, but wouldn't move on to June. And it was really hard for a school that had just entered new premises. But I also thank God, at least the bank understands, if we're still in the rented houses, maybe we would have shut down. Oh, yeah. Because we would not afford to pay the rent. Okay. Yeah, so we closed for three months. Then June, we reopened the center. But I was worried because I knew the school was supporting the center. And I didn't think the center would support itself till now. It has really affected us and we had to lay off some staff because we're not afford to pay all of them. But so far, we thank God. Mm-hmm. So during the time that you were closed, were you offering something to the families or to the students virtually? Yes. From March to June, we were doing online learning, but it was really hard for parents. Some would not like they would call and say, we can't do this. We can't manage the children. So even the parents are the ones that had to talk to the ministry so that they would let the children come back to school because they would not help the children home. It was hard for them. How were you supporting your staff throughout that time? It was hard. And some of my staff, I also rent houses for them, especially the ones that are not randoms. So it was hard. I had to cut their pay and pay them 50% which we agreed on because we are looking at the situation. And I would also to get some credit so that I would support them. Since they're not even in their own country mm. and they all like were looking up to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you able to keep the parents in communication with each other? Yes, we have some groups. Like we're doing online learning for all parents. Those who would manage would still um, work with the children. But for us, we try to do what we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like every day we'll share with them what we expect them to do. Some would do it. Some would call and say, no, no, it's impossible. They cannot even sleep. It was hard. Like I would always have calls at night. Why don't you talk to the government? Why don't you tell them about our situation? We cannot handle these children. Mm. Yeah. But we're now back to, to they're back, these children are back to the center. Okay, great. Yeah. And what is the current situation in Rwanda? About the, the pandemic, mm-hmm. the cases have gone down and some of the schools are going to, to be open soon, but will open in phases. Like according to the ministry's plan, like universities might open in October, then upper primary, secondary November, and the rest in October. So like you find we are, the country is separating at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, Avis, what is your vision for Silver Bells? Yes, the time I decided to, to support these children, I've not reached my goal. I thought I would support children who are autistic and other children that have mental disability. But I realized if we assess over 200 and we have 35 children, I'm not reaching like my target. So, as Silver Bells would want to see how we can go into rural areas train staff so that even at least 
in each school there is someone who can support these children because they cannot all afford to come to, to the city. And at least like in every district in the country, at least we have someone who can support children who are autistic in the country. Mm -hmm. That is my vision for the center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. And simultaneously growing awareness and acceptance and inclusion with yeah, each sure. family that you are impacting. Yeah, we also do trainings. We do trainings for parents, though some do not want to attend. And some do not even want people to, sh to know that they are bringing their children to the center. Mm -hmm. So it's hard. We call them for trainings. You find the same. If we have maybe 35 parents, five are the ones coming for the trainings. And you find the same five are the ones coming for all the trainings. So mm -hmm. we still have a long way, but we know we're there. Is it that they don't want people to know they're going to the center because of the stigma in the community? Some do. Also, some have lost hope. They think their children cannot do anything. Last quarter, we had a sports day and we invited parents to come in for the sports day. And we were supposed to begin at nine. No one had turned out. It was 10. We had to call them and they were saying, what can those children do? Said, come and see what they can do. No one like believed in their children, and and mm. and we had to wait for them. Like we called each and every parent, said, "Will not start before you come in." Most like they came in at eleven and were supposed to start at nine, which meant they did not expect their children to do. They thought we were, we had invited the children in the normal school, but when they came, they were all surprised. They realized their children can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they still have that mentality of, you know, let me just, I just put the child there just, but they don't understand that the, the children have the potential to live independently. Yeah, I see. It takes seeing it with your own eyes to actually believe it. Yeah. Because if someone is telling you and telling you, it can mean nothing unless you can actually see the gains yourself. Do you ever invite parents to come observe sessions at the center? Yes, we always have evaluation sessions. And we'd also, we decided also to have like sessions to evaluate them. Like we had one session and one parent did not know his son is reading. And we, we gave his son to read a book and said, no, what are you talking about? He cannot read. <laughs> but when the son started reading, the dad started crying. He did not oh. know because they don't even get time to follow up on what they're doing at school because they have already lost hope. Mm -hmm. Yes. So like we, we told them next time we'll be inviting you, you share with us on what you do with the children at home. We don't want you to just be dropping them here. We also want you to show us what you do with the children home. Mm -hmm. So that inspires them because they know next time we call them, they should tell us something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that gives us a picture of how they feel about their children because he didn't know his son was reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to empower the parents so that they know that they can work with their kids at home too. Yeah. And we also have said, you know, their parents, you find... If one parent has accepted, the other one is still in denial. So what we do, we invite the parent that we think has not been the life of the child. So if the father is the one coming to school, 
often asking for evaluation. Next time we invite the mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we want them all to be part of the child's journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's crucial to to get the parents involved so that if everyone's on the same page, then the child can progress faster and they can reach their potential, like you're saying. Mm. Yeah. Okay, Avis, tell us about your partnership with the Global Autism Project. Yeah, I met the Global Autism Project last year in April. And so far, we have had three teams of volunteers come to support us. It's a very good partnership. They have really supported us in capacity building because though we're doing therapy in different departments, we didn't know anything about ABA. So with ABA, they have really empowered the staff. They have really supported us. And we're also looking forward to continue the partnership with Robotics Project. Yeah. We were just starting. Yeah. Yeah. So you did have an opportunity to go to Global Summit last August in Bali. And what was that like for you to spend the week with all the partners and meet other business owners around the world? It's a very big chance for me to meet different uh, partners of the group autism and also business owners that are doing the same kind of business that I'm doing. I thought some of the challenges that I had was just me. Maybe I was not a good, I was not good enough because I had I didn't know anything about autism. But meeting them, I realized we had the same challenges. We shared among ourselves and I realized I was not alone. And also we shared experiences. When I returned back, like I knew what to do. It's a great support network for people to just know that they're on the right track and they're doing the right thing and that they're not alone. Mm. And the challenges, they are all the same in every country. Mm-hmm. And especially in this journey of autism, you find in most countries, they don't have skilled personnel. Yeah, and I thank Robotism for having that initiative of training their partners all over the world so that at least they can really give out the service in a, a very professional way. Yeah. Yeah, so you said that you had a few skill core teams visit your country. What was that experience like for you to have them at Silverbells? It was a very big um, good opportunity for us because most of our parents had read about ABA and they would tell us we also need ABA on board. But when I made the group of autism and they sent the skills corps team, they really inspired us, they really trained our, our staff. And in every department, we are practicing ABA in every department. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more results. Oh, that's wonderful. So what part of Rwandan culture do you like to share with the teams when they visit? <laughs> it depends. Most of them have always uh, preferred going to the parks. Like all the teams so far have gone to Akajera Park. And they would also go for local music, for traditional music mm, mm-hmm. in some hotels. They had fun to have dinner in different hotels around Kigali because normally they have local traditional dances the evenings. And this time I would want them to, to visit the gorillas as well. Gorillas? 
yes, I would want them to visit gorillas as well and also visit uh, beaches in the western part of Rwanda. Oh, nice. Hopefully I can come visit you guys again sometime. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, Avis, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you offer to parents who are maybe just learning that their child is different and looking for some ways to help them? How do you empower them and inspire hope in them? Yeah, um, I always do that. <laughs> That's what I do on the daily on my daily basis because I meet with parents. And it's like you don't need to tell them their child is autistic. Direct. So what we do, we always like do assessments and we share like the behaviors that we think we are going to work on, but we're not direct that it's autism. Otherwise, when a parent is not ready, it's hard for them. So uh, what I advise them, I always tell them that I share with them experiences from other parents. I share with them experience from the children that we have helped. So I let them understand that they're not alone that the child has the potential. And I show them that, I even like share with them cases that are much worse than the case that they have. So in that they realize things are, everything is possible and they get hope realizing maybe they came thinking their child cannot help himself, he's just there, they don't know what to do with the child. But once we share the experience, we tell them what the, the, the children we have helped, there they get hope, and that's when we gain their trust. Mm. And they they always seek for advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's important to build that rapport with the parents so that they can, yeah, not only trust you with their children, but also trust that what you're doing is in their best interest. Yeah. And good enough here in Rwanda, the, the word of mouth goes so fast. So you find they will come when they have, you know, they have had, like, Silverbelt is doing this. They have helped this kind of child. So like you share experience and you find they even know, they already know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Ves. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. And I wish you luck in starting the center again this week. And I hope everything goes smoothly for you guys. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. The staff at Silver Bells are doing an incredible job. With every child they teach and every parent they empower, they are shattering the stigma of autism and instilling hope in the hearts of families. As parents feel more comfortable taking their children out in public and speaking openly about autism, their communities begin to understand that autism is neither a curse nor anything to be ashamed of. Increased awareness often leads to more trained professionals and financial support from governments, improving the likelihood that families will receive the services they need. No child should be left hidden at home. Just a reminder that we're still taking donations for our COVID-19 Partner Relief Fund. Since the start of the crisis, our partners all over the world have been adapting their services to support some of the most vulnerable children and their families. The good news is that you can help ensure schools like Silver Bells continue running services by making a donation today. 
100% of your donations to the Partner Relief Fund go directly to our partners who need it most. You will be supporting internet access for remote teaching, educational materials, and protective equipment. You can make a difference today by supporting families and their children in our partners' communities. Donations can be made at globalautismproject.org. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.